Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to the Grief to Growth podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he's here to help you grow where you've been planted. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. His sincere hope is that this episode helps you today. And now, a brief word from our sponsor. When I decided I was going to do a podcast, I knew there were more moving parts than most people expect. How do you record a podcast? Where do you host it? How much will it cost? Do I need special software? How do I distribute it? All these questions were in my mind. I was all set to go with another podcast hosting company. Then I heard about Anchor. I believe that Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place. You can use it right from your phone or from your computer. Anchor is not only free, you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Anchor's creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M as in FM radio. And now back to our episode. Today's episode is with the famous PMH Atwater. And I have to say, this was probably the most fun interview I've done. She's an amazing soul, an amazing presence, and it's just a joy to be with her. So I hope as you sit back and listen to this, that you enjoy it as much as I do. And with that, this is PMH Atwater. Hey, everybody. This is <laughs> this is Brian Smith, your host of Grief to Growth. And I'm here today to say I have a special guest with me. Um, I'm really honored and thrilled to have her with me. Uh, we have PMH Atwater. And if you don't know who she is, I'm going to read a short bio of her. Uh, she is one of, if not the uh, premier near, researcher in near-death experiences. Uh, PMH Atwater is the author of more than 15 books. I know that's old. I know it's up to at least 18 now, uh, including Future Memory, Beyond the Indigo Children, We Live Forever, and I Died Three Times in 1977, The Complete Story. She's been researching the near-death phenomenon since 1978 and is obviously considered a world authority on the subject. She's a workshop leader at major spiritual holistic gatherings and has addressed audiences at the International Association of Near-Death Studies, otherwise known as IONS as well as the United Nations. She's appeared on numerous television programs and in numerous countries. 
Her books have been translated into over 12 languages. She's appeared on Larry King Live, Regis and Kathy Lee, and Geraldo, and she lives in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I, I know you've interviewed, um, I don't even know what the number is now. Is it probably 5,000 near-death experiencers? Nearly 5,000 adults and children, yes. Yeah, nearly 5,000 adults and children. So what I, what I want to do today, we're going to probably end up doing a series because there's so much to talk about with PMH. So today we're going to talk about her background, how she got to be where she is, what her research has been. And we're going to talk about uh, one of her films, and uh, that's As You Die. And then we're going, to, we're going to follow up later on and talk about some of her other books. So that was a very long introduction, but I want to say welcome to PMH.Potter. <laughs> I had so much fun to be with you. Yeah, I got to tell you, it's, it's a real thrill to have you on. Um, as I said in the intro, you've got to be... You, you've got to be one of the, you've got to be the top ND researcher. I know, I know there's probably between you and Raymond Mooney, it's got to be pretty close. I know he kind of started the whole thing, but you you had your near death experiences in 1977, which is right before his book came out, and he coined the phrase near death experience. Well, I began my work in '78. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys started. Yeah, I, I'm a pioneer. <laughs> yeah, definitely a pioneer. So you've, you've had an interesting life leading up to all this. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the title of your book is I Died Three Times in 1977. So tell me about that. Well, my goodness, that's where it, that's where it all started. Mm -hmm. But let, let, let me backpedal a little, little bit sure, here sure. and some other things. Um, I had a very unusual childhood. When I reached adulthood, um, I became very interested in exploring the metaphysical, the paranormal, the esoteric. So I started Idaho's first nonprofit metaphysical corporation called Interform. Hmm. We were dealing pe with people by the thousands. That's no joke. Um, Brought in a lot of speakers because I wanted people to know the facts, not the fiction, uh, to be able to, to decide for themselves what was true and what isn't true. Mm -hmm. And what I did at that time, which I wish people would do everywhere, is when we first opened up shops, so to speak, I went around to all the major churches in town, introduced myself personally. Mm -hmm. said what Interform was and what we're doing um, so that they would be, be prepared and they would know and they would have that importance of me, me being with them, them being with me, so we could talk together mm -hmm. before Interform began. So I never had any problem with any of the churches because they knew us. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that, that it's important. Yeah, I, I think we need to announce ourselves. I, I think we need to talk one-on-one. -on -one. I think we need to always come from that point of respect. Mm. So that's what I did. And um, we had all kinds of experiments, all kinds of classes, uh, any, anything from ghosty haunting to um, you name it, we did it. <laughs> you know, uh, working with the chakras, um, all kinds of educational um, opportunities, bringing speakers in. Um, so we really dealt with the top of the top. 
Okay. And I'm I'm very proud of that. I'm I'm very proud that for well over a decade, uh, Inner Form was very active in Boise, Idaho. I lived in Boise, Idaho, and we, um, you know, we established 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 a lot of groundwork. <clears throat> well, after all of that, <laughs> I reached the point where I was I was kind of getting not really bored with the subject, but feeling a need to move on and do something else. Mm -hmm. So I decided I would become a bank manager. (laughs) I was taking classes for the American Banking Institute. And I was was taking um, drafting classes at Boise State University. And I was in the mathematical department. You know, it's just, I just... I was in a different world and I loved it. You know, I just loved it. And, and my oldest daughter by then was also in, in the same um, building. Mm -hmm. And so we could walk, you know, down the hall together, mom and daughter, you know, studying math and higher principles. And I just thought that was super cool. (laughs) I loved it. Yeah. And then, um, and then I was raped. And became pregnant, and all of the uh, deaths, and yeah, everything followed. Mm. Um, so I died three times in 1977 within three months. The first was January 2, then January 4, then March 29, and that fall, I had three major relapses, one of which, which was total adrenal failure. I was working at the time with a blood pressure reading of 60 over 60, which means I wasn't doing too good. And um, the whole process of all of that, uh, I had to relearn how to crawl, how to stand, how to walk, how to tell the difference between left and right, how to see properly, hear properly, um, and rebuild all my belief systems. So... um, you know, 1977 was just uh, a year of a lot of work yeah. and, a, and a lot of facing issues. Like, for instance, one of them was fear. Yeah. You know, I, even though I had these three near-death experience, experiences, um, you know, and, and you're, you're certainly facing what you learned and what you faced on the other side in different places. I think one of the big things that near-death experiencers face, whether they admit it or not, is fear. Yeah. And I was facing a lot of fear because my leg was, my right leg was dragging. I wasn't getting well. I was, you know, I was doing everything the medical community told me to do, and it was bombing. It was working, working badly. Hmm. Um, And I was really jealous of other people who could walk and, you know, um, and could handle themselves well. Yeah. And it just, um, it was just a very frightful time. And and, uh, (laughs) you're going to love this. Uh, friends of mine recommended that I read two books and, and, and the, the Hobbit mm. and I'd never heard of Tolkien right. Hobbit 
and then um, the Lord of the Rings and the whole Ring uh, trilogy, and then Dune by, oh, wow. by Frank Herbert. Yeah. And those two books, Dune and really the Ring, Trilo- Ring trilogy, saved my sanity and saved my life. Really? How's that? Because, because I became the people in the books. Oh. I became all of the people in the books because I was going through what they were going through. I mean, I was fighting for my life. Mm-hmm. And so what they went through literally was what I was going through. And mm-hmm. the Dune trilogy, that too, you know, you know, that's another Christ story. If, if you haven't ever read uh, the, um, the first book and, mm-hmm. and even after that, um, it's another Christ um, um, yeah, mm-hmm. giving us another way of viewing the Christ story. Mm-hmm. And in that book, and I don't know why I did this, but I did. Um, when they're talking about the witches, which is a group of, of women who could control things with their mind, they had the litany of fear. And, and that litany, um, I mixed up and changed. Why I did that, I don't know. But I, I reformed and recreated the litany. Wow. And my version of the litany just made such a difference. And, uh, and I pass it on to everybody else. In fact, in some of my books in the back, I give, give my version of the litany. And it goes like this. Fear is the mind killer. It is the little death. I will pass through my fear. It will go around me and through me. And when it is gone, I will remain. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I like that. And I would chant that. I would chant that sometimes by the hour. Because that gave me courage. That told me and showed me Mm-hmm. That anything that happened, I could pass right through it and come out the other end. Wow. Um, I, 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 there was so much courage in that. Yeah. So I pass that on to your listeners that oh, yeah. uh, the litany of fear is it's, it's just so valuable. And, and there for a while... Um, at first, the only logical phrase I could say is, God is. And, and I would chant it. I would chant it over and over and over again, sometimes by the hour. And it kept me sane. Wow. It just kept me sane. Because when you've had near-death experiences, irrespective of the physical uh, cost involved, and in my case, that was, that was quite substantial. Right. You're dealing with where you were versus where you you now are, yeah. and the, and the conflict or the change, or the or the challenge between the two. Yeah. And um, for me, that was that was quite um, substantial. Yeah. So um, 
for our listeners, could you tell us about your experience, your near-death experience? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. Well, <laughs> I would I would be short and brief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Long version, you have to get the little book. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> oh, gee. Uh, January 2. I woke up needing to go to the bathroom immediately, right away. Made it to the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and that's where the miscarriage occurred. Mm. And the next thing I knew, I was up on the ceiling looking down. And I was confused by the difference in ratio of air and space. In my case, the light I went to was the bathroom light and it was on. <laughs> and I kept bumping into that light bulb as if as if a moth drawn to a flame. Hmm. I just kept bumping into it. And 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 I kept wondering thoughts, you know, what am I doing up here? Why do I keep bumping into the light bulb? What's going on down there? And, you know, when you, do, when you die, you don't become someone else than you were, you are. And I've always been rather neat. <laughs> and so when I saw that bloody body on the floor, it's just, a, there's no way I was going to own up to that. Mm. I mean, just no way. Um, I didn't care. I didn't care about that body at all. Mm. Yeah. That's a bloody mess. I just cared about why I kept bumping, bumping in that light bulb and why suddenly there were all kinds of blobs forming in the air. When I say blobs, I mean like an ink blot blob, only fully dimensional. Mm. And they were kind of gray and funny looking and I didn't like them. And the more uh, I questioned um, where I was and what was going on, the more blobs there were. Hmm. And um, there were more and more and more and more. Suddenly, there was a snap. Um, And I was snapped back into my body. Entering through that soft spot mm-hmm. on the top of our head when, when a babe and feeling the need to shrink and be pulled back down into my body mm-hmm. because I was bigger out of the body than I was in the body. So I had to, had to 
shrink to fit back in. Um, and and then again, you don't become someone you're not. I mean, the first thing I did was clean up the mess. <laughs> I mean, I did that. I really did. Pain and all, you clean up your messes. Mm. And stuffed myself with as much cotton and and um, blankets and sheets and towels as I could. Gathered up every blanket I could in the house and went to bed. And wow. propped up my legs as high as I could get them. Wow. And just went to bed. For me... Um, and went to sleep. And for me, that's normal because <laughs> I'm a cop's kid. I was raised in a police station. And, and they used, we lived outside of town, Twin Falls, Idaho. Mm -hmm. And they would use that field outside my bedroom window as their gunnery range. And I never, ever in all the year, years ever heard a single shot. I thought my dad was kidding me. When he said they were all practicing their, you know, their skills outside my bedroom window, I thought he was lying to me because I never, never heard a single shot. So that I'm the kind of individual that when I go to sleep, that's it. I'm gone. Forget it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm gone. <clears throat> and the next morning, uh, my oldest daughter, Natalie, woke me up and said, should I call in? Um, to the office and say you're not feeling well. Yeah. Because the girls had been gone when all this happened. They came home, and I was asleep on the in uh, in my bed. So they didn't bother me. So that next morning, Natalie said, "You know, should I call in?" I said, "Yes." Um. And after the girls left for school, it just occurred to me, maybe I should go see a doctor. Yeah. You know, it, for an Idahoan, you've got to realize in, in Idaho, especially Southern Idaho, and especially where, where and when I was raised, um, you do your own thing. Right. You know, if you need medicine, you do that yourself. You don't go running to a doctor. If you need help in any way, you take care of that yourself or you go to neighbors. You know, again, you don't go running to some state authority right. or some county commissioner. You do it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you can your own food. You bake your own bread. You know, on and on and on. I even made my ch children's own clothes for one year. <laughs> After that, I didn't like doing it. But anyway... <laughs> Um, but I can food to the tune of maybe 300 quarts and pints per year, bake wow. my own bread. I mean, you know, um, that's the kind of people we were and I was. So to go to a doctor because I'm not feeling well or something is wrong is a big thing. Right. And I got into my car, how I started it and drove it, I don't know. Um, my doctor's office was only about maybe six, eight blocks away mm -hmm. in the same subdivision in Boise I was living in. And it took me like a half an hour or an hour to get there. I, for, I forget. It took a long time to get there because 
because there were all the, these lightning bolts on the windshield of the sea, lightning bolts, and the houses on either side would grow and change and move and wiggle, and 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 the ground kept changing, and and I, I'm just holding on for dear life, trying to make it through this changing maze to get to the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally made it, parked my car, walked in the door, and the head nurse <laughs> was there, and she screamed when she saw me. She said, you look like you're dead. Let, let me get you into the, you know, the doctor right away. So I was pulled in right away. But the doctor did, I don't know. He started laughing. He just laughed and laughed and laughed at me. Um, because here I was, a grown woman. And I had allowed myself to be raped. And he thought that was stupid. Um, That was crazy of me. Mm. And all of this pain for no fun. Wow. And he constantly made fun of me. He finally gave me a shot in the right thigh vein. um, that, um, That he really shouldn't have. He, he, reading my file, he would know I'm being super sensitive. I could not handle that shot, but he did it anyway. So I went back home and it took a long time to get back home. But when I walked in the door, the, ble- the bleeding stopped immediately. Like somebody turned a faucet off. Hmm. And I went to bed. And the next morning, Natalie woke me up again. I said, yes, call and work and I went and I and by then my right thigh was hurt so bad it it, is screaming pain screaming pain if I had a knife I'd have cut my leg off Mm. and the only phone we had was a wall phone in the kitchen Mm So I tried to get there, but I could no longer walk. All I could do was crawl. And I made it as far as the dining room. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't go any further. I knew um, all uh, um, the whole band of, of my right thigh was bright red, screaming red. And, and growing out to, to uh, the right side where it had that shot, there, there, there was this, I called it a volcano. It was like a big lump and it was red hot and it was boiling and it was screaming at me. And by the time I got to my dining room, I knew that lump was killing me. And I did the worst thing I could have ever done. I attacked the lump. I pounded it on it. I hit it. I, I did everything I could to make the lump go away. Well, the lump won. Mm. So I died again. And this time I floated up to the ceiling uh, as per before. Only this time I knew what was happening. Mm. And I looked down at my body and 
I wanted to know if I was really, really dead. Yeah. So I went down and kind of hovered around a little bit. No air, you know, no, no heartbeat. I mean, nothing was working. I mean, the body was, as near as I could tell, gone. Um, and so I went, went back up to the ceiling and... You just simply got to be someone who has gone through something like this before to understand what came next. Because when I was convinced that my body was really, really dead, that I didn't have to come back, I, I was gone, there was such joy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I twirled around that 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 light fixture. This time it was not on, but wow. I twirled around that light fixture as if it were a maypole. Yeah. And I was just so happy. I'm dead. I'm dead. At last, I'm de dead. I don't have to come back. Um, there was no thought of the children or anything. I, I'm just. I'm out of here. I want to say, you know, this was in 1977, right? So this is before anybody ever heard about a near-death experience. There was nothing in the literature. So you, you, your experience... Well, it, it had been out since 1975. Oh, is it? Okay, because... Yeah. So some people knew about it, but I didn't. I think for, for most of... I mean, a lot of us now, I mean, I, what I hear you describing, it sounds fairly common, right? Because we hear about it now, but I can only imagine what it was like for you then. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, it was just so thrilling. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was thrilling. <laughs> um, and there in, 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 throughout my living room and my dining room were all these blobs. There were blobs again, only this time they were translucent and translucent, and they were beautiful and they were lovely. And I caught on. Hmm. The blobs were thoughts. Oh, wow. Thoughts really are things. Wow. I, I, I mean, I didn't know that. Hmm. I mean, I kind of knew that from previous studies, but here to me, for me, was proof, absolute proof. That thoughts are things. Wow. So I began then to wonder, could I create with my thoughts? Could I make things? Could I do things? Hmm. And while I was thinking that, um, the whole span changed. I, I didn't I didn't leave. I was still there by the light fixture. But something above just came down and enveloped me and my room and my home, and I was elsewhere. Hmm. 
and it was a very dark black world but it was it was fascinating to me it was it was just utter black dark yet i mean nothing was there nothing 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 dark black but yet there was the presence in that darkness of every thought that had ever been said every deed that had ever been done everything that had ever happened plus everything that ever would be said or would be done or ever would happen mm. and the only thing i could think of to call it was the void yeah and the void was just so pregnant with with everything hmm. so i went through various um um creation exercises <laughs> that's a good word to put it and and then later on i was met by jesus jesus came oh. and it, and it wasn't any need to bow down but my elder brother yeah. Who I hadn't seen in a long time, and I ran to him and hugged him, and 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 there was, there was just so much. He laughed, and I laughed, and there was so much joy. And and then um, my loved ones who had previously died came, mm -hmm. including a grandfather. I never would have had had any opportunity to know him or what he looked like or anything else, because back in my day. <laughs> I was illegitimate by birth. Back then, that was, was a crime. Mm. You, you didn't talk about children uh, born out of wedlock. Mm. But I was one of those babies. So um, I never had an occasion to ever know, really, my dad, or later on I met him, but, or his dad. Mm -hmm. um, I did have an occasion to meet his mother, whom I loved dearly. Um, but I didn't know this man. And he came up to me and he introduced himself to me, said who he was. And in our dialogue together, I could see traits I had that I couldn't place anywhere else in the family. It's like, where did that trait come from? Wow. But yet it came from my grandfather my paternal grandfather and i just like oh boy this is rich Woohoo! <laughs> this is good to know this um and and then um there's a life review mm -hmm. and for me it was you know jesus left my loved ones left and i'm in this life review and for me it was a review of every thought I had ever thought, wow. every deed I had ever done, everything that had happened to me in my life since birth, plus the effect of my energy, my being, whatever I had said, all that I was on anyone who ever passed me by on the street, mm. on the soil, on the water, on the plants, and on the air. Mm. I got the total gestalt of my 
ever having existed in the earth plane. Wow. And to me, that was hell. Oh, wow. Really? That was hell in the sense that I never knew we were responsible for that much. Wow. I've never been told that. I, I mean, if you do something wrong, you get slapped, you, you right. know, whatever. You, you, you learn that, but I didn't know that we were completely responsible for all that we are. All the time. Wow. That's deep. That's, for the whole world. Yeah. And that was just heavy. So I forgave myself. I did. There wasn't some heavenly, uh, heavenly host that forgave me. Mm -hmm. I forgave myself because with all that I had quote unquote done wrong, I had done something wonderfully well. And that was, I was a doer. Mm -hmm. I was the kind of person that if something needed to be done, I just simply did it. Yeah, and you know nobody had to ask me to do anything. I just got up and did it. Yeah, and and I liked that part of my personality. I thought that was just that was good. Good, yeah. So I you know I came back and back to the body and uh I was still lost over there. I mean, I was still there. Most near death experiencers when they they come back are not really back. Yeah. It takes a while. Yeah. I, I, I certainly wasn't back. Yeah, I know it takes a while. And the thing is interesting because you started your work not too long after that, but you say most near-death experiences take a while, even up to years, to integrate their experience. Oh, the average adult takes 7 to 10 years. The average right. child takes 20 to 40 years. Right. Adults integrate, children compensate. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, it takes them a long time. So you, you came but, back and you, you, um, went, you went through this fear you talked about, but then you very quickly turned that into what's become your life's work. Well, that was because of my third near-death experience. <laughs> okay. Let, let me just quickly say, but before I do, mm -hmm. let me sort of tie up things with that doctor. Okay. He was later on sued for malpractice by several other patients. Good. And when, when that hit the newspaper, I thought of joining the suit. And then I thought, no, I don't want blood money. Mm -hmm. I just want the people to know that this is not a good doctor. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he was being sued satisfied me. Yeah. So I just want to tie up this crazy doctor thing. Okay. Um, and um, it, it, it's, it's important for me to note something before I talk about the third near-death experience, and that is that, that throughout 1977, I wasn't getting well, I wasn't getting well, I wasn't getting well. In fact, I was getting worse. And so I did something very, very daring for me. I pulled myself out of the allopathic world, that is to say no more MDs, put myself into the hands of a naturopath wow. who was very skilled in homeopathy and life cell, you know, and, and a very, very skilled man, Dr. William G. Reimer, no longer with us, but, but he was a giant. 
Um, but even with him, I was starting to get worse too, which concerned him, concerned my friends. So they decided that they would truck me up in early November to Seattle, Washington to, um, to uh, attend the Mind Miraculous Symposium held at the Seattle Center. And all the biggies were there, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, uh, you know, Stephen Levine, I mean, they were all there. Wow. And so um, I was trucked up because I had to lay down the whole way up there. The doctor gave me a shot and I had all kinds of pills, got up there. And, and the first speakers paid for everything. And the first speaker was Dr. William Tiller. And his talk was the eternal now. And I couldn't tell you really a thing the man said, except toward the end of his talk, he felt that simultaneity, that everything happens at the same time in the same place, could be proved mathematically with physics, and, and that, that it could be diagrammed. So they had a huge giant screen there. So he flipped up on that huge giant screen exactly what I saw and felt and did in my third near-death experience. Wow. And I jumped up out of there and ran for the foyer, collapsed under a light, and just kept saying, you know, curled up and saying, he saw it too, he saw it too, I'm not crazy, I'm not crazy. He mm. saw it too, I'm not crazy. And from then on, got well just lickety-split. Wow. wow. And you see, the reason I wasn't getting well is because I thought I was crazy. Right, right. And I needed someone like Dr. William Tiller, not a doctor, not a nurse, someone like Tiller to say to me, no, you're not crazy. Wow, that's amazing. And he did that in essence uh, with his talk and that, that incredible diagram. So, uh, so I, I, so it's 1978. Mm -hmm. I sold a house I had just bought, quit a job. that I was told I was going to get a raise in a title, a bank title. I was working in the bank at the time right. in the analytical division. And for a woman then to get a bank title was a very big deal. <laughs> and I was going to get a title and a bump up and raise. And, you know, I'm working in the analytical department and this is a big, 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 big deal. So on that morning, when I was to, when all of this was to happen, all kinds of little miracles started to occur. And when the time came for me to go in and talk to my boss about a promotion, um, she was white. And she said, don't say a word, sit down. So I sat down. And she said uh, she had been awakened that morning at 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. by a vision. She said, I don't ever get visions. 
So she woke up her husband to make sure (laughs) that she had a witness. And in her vision, she had been shown and told that she would go to her boss, the main guy in the bank, and that she told him that she would have to replace me because I was going to chase rainbows. Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, and the only thing I could think of to do was to pound the table and say, that's not fair. You knew about it before I did. Wow. Uh, But that, in fact, was what I was going to do. I was going to quit sell everything I owned or put it in storage, walk out on my life. The kids were then um, where they needed to be. And I was going to cross the United States, fulfilling all my childhood dreams and wishes and wind up in Falls Church, Virginia. I had no idea what a Falls Church was, but I was where I was going to be. Wow. And there I would begin my research. And that's exactly what I did. Now, the research quotient comes from the third near-death experience. And in, in the climax of that, I was told by a voice. I call, I call it the voice like none other. Um, no, it wasn't a guide, a guardian. No, it wasn't an angel. No, it wasn't... Um, any kind of big mucky muck you've ever th- heard about. Hmm. It was a voice so big. It was like the entire universe was speaking to me. And that voice said, and I quote, test revelation. You are to do the research. One book for each death. Hmm. Then it showed me what that meant. It did not tell me how to do the research. I mean, I'm a cop's kid. Um, Police investigative techniques is what I was raised in. Mm -hmm. I, I knew how to do that. Yeah. And dad would always say the body says more than the mouth does. Mm hmm. So I knew how to do the work. Book one was not named. Books two and three were named. Um, book two is Future Memory. Mm-hmm. Future Memory is not a book. It's a labyrinth. Every sentence, every paragraph, every page is part of the math I used to create the labyrinth. I was shown how by that voice. You stay on the path when you open the book. You stay on the path. You don't skip read. Or you'll wonder why I ever wrote such a dumb book. Um, It doesn't fall together until you just read it straight through like like you would walk through a labyrinth. And the purpose of the book is to raise your consciousness up to the next highest level possible for you. The book is a brain changer. Actually, it's a psychotronic device. The, set, the third book is a manual for developing humans. And that book, of course, exists as well. It's, you know, um, it was done a couple of years ago. I finally was able to finish it with that help. Wow. Um, the book has a fifth 
dimensional format. Okay. That is to say, every part of the book, there's, there's six sections. Every part of the book has conscious, subconscious, and superconscious all at the same time. Okay. So it's all together. What's the title of the third book? A Manual for Developing Humans. Oh, okay, that's the title. You know, years and years ago, hundreds, thousands of years ago, uh, the word hue, H-U, the sound of hue was the sound of God. Mm-hmm. And so human was God-man, God-woman. Um, so, so the premise of the book really is for you to be who you really are. And guess what? Guess who you really are? You're a child of God. Guess what? You're a co-creator with the creator. It even says so in the Christian Bible. It says we are gods in the making. Okay, do it. Yeah. Live it. Yeah. And a manual for, the, for developing humans is for that purpose. And there, um, there are thought forms in the book that I made to show you uh, oh, what I learned about thought forms and in the air, and I drew them. So there's about, I think, maybe 23, 24 thought forms in the book. Um, but it's full of these simple stories and simple exercises to help you be who you are. And what's the first uh, book? Um, I, I have no idea. I was never told. Oh, really? <laughs> never told. I, I, I suppose maybe it's coming back to, coming back to life, which, which was my first major book. Okay. And it's now the uh, it's now on Amazon.com. Okay. And it was followed by um, um, Beyond the Light, and that also um, survives because it's on Amazon.com because yeah. these these are books a long time ago. So I'm I'm supposing maybe it was those those, but I was never told. Wow. So, that, so now you're, you're, you're in Falls Church and you're, you're, you started doing research. Who, were you, did you set up your own research? Were you working for a university or how, how did that no, work? No, never, never, never working for a university. Never, never. Um, in, in Chicago, uh, I was visiting an, an, an uncle and um, met Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross at wow. O'Hare Airport. Mm-hmm. Her plane was late. Mm-hmm. And so we sat down on a bench like a couple of school girls, just us. And I told her about my three near-death experiences. And, and she said uh, that I was a near-death survivor. She did not use the word experiencer. Mm-hmm. Um, she validated my experiences. She said they were real, that I was a near-death survivor. She never mentioned Raymond Moody. She never mentioned his book at all. Hmm. And from her, um, from her description, from her, um, from discussions with her, I had all the information I needed. So I just started doing it. Wow! I mean, literally, I started doing. I open up my mouth and give talks, and that's where I started meeting other near-death experiences. And um, I watched them, I studied them, I listened, I asked questions, you know, wrote it all down. And um, starting with dozens and then hundreds and then thousands, um, I did it on my own, my own pocket. Wow. Uh, to begin with, I gave psychic readings or rune castings 
because that paid for my, my early research. Wow. That's the reason I did them, it paid for my early research. No, it's all in my own pocket. Wow. Uh, I'd get little jobs to pay for it. So were you trained in research techniques and data analysis or? Well, sure. I'm the cop's kid. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I did my first double-blind study with a control group at the age of five. <laughs> I was one of these people that was spooky and snoopy, and I was always trying to define what mm -hmm. things are and, and, and how things connect. You know, being raised in a, in a police station, uh, the, 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 um, the room where they interrogate, you know, the, uh, the, the individual who had the problem, in those days they had um, the old-fashioned skeleton keyhole, which is a really big keyhole. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't that big, so I could just stand up to the keyhole and look inside and see and hear everything that was going on inside. And always, always, always a person inside would say, well, I just knew if I went with these people, there would be trouble. Or I just knew if I opened that door and on and on and on. And me, this little kid listening and watching, I'm thinking to myself, well, if you just knew, why did you do it? Right. Why did you open that door if, if you knew you'd have trouble opening that door. So I, I grew up thinking all adults were stupid and I was never going, I was never going to be an, an adult. Well, I later on became an adult, became stupid, but that's another story. <laughs> but as a little kid, uh, also I was born with dyslexia and stenesthesia, which mm -hmm. is an elaboration of the limbic system. Um, so it's multiple or blended senses oh. get from synesthesia. So in the first grade, I was the only child in school who could smell color, see music, and hear numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, that's synesthesia. Mm -hmm. But in those days, they thought I was a liar. Right. And I spent most of the first grade on a tall stool in front of the class having to wear a tall conical hat that said dunce oh, no. on it as a bad child who told lies the principal to um, called my mother to school twice to get me kicked out of school um that didn't work i stayed the full year but i mean i just can't begin to tell you what the nightmare the first the first grade was yeah. Plus, that's the time of, 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 you know, Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And, you know, I'm walking to school, and it's a long, long blocks to school, and, and people would have gold star decals in their front window because then if, the, if some, someone died in the war effort, mm -hmm. you were given a gold star decal and you put it up on your window. and um, Easily half of the homes on the path I walked, little Twin Falls, Idaho, easily half of the homes had gold stars. Mm -hmm. And this one home had six new gold stars overnight. And I just stood there and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. Mm -hmm. 
I don't recall a single morning in all of first grade when I didn't have to stop my tears and stop my shutters just to walk in the door of my first grade classroom. Yeah. So for me, the, the, the first grade was just one horrible, horrible nightmare. Um, I, uh, um, I, I, I would go through any length to not get a hundred on my papers because if I did, the teacher would give me a gold star and that meant death. Oh, wow. I could not, um, I could not have any peace with gold until I was in my fifties. I could not wear gold until I was in my sixties. Hmm. Um, gold to me meant death. That was, that was death. Yeah. Um, so I was raised to, to search, to find, to define, to, um, to find my own truth. Yeah. You've obviously got just an incredible mind, incredible I, drive. I just, whoa. So, so that drive then, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, wh why not me? I mean, <laughs> why would I be chosen to do the research chosen quote unquote? Why not? Yeah. I've been redefining life since I was a little kid. Yeah. I have to say, reading your books, I'm just amazed by the depth of your research, how careful you are. I was reading about your interview techniques and how you, you know, you don't want to pollute the data by suggesting things. And you were saying when you interviewed children, you would get down on their level. I mean, oh, you, just, you can never be above the child's eye level. Never, right. never, never. Right. So if the kid is little, guess where you are? Yeah. <laughs> You're on the floor. On the floor, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's, um, I could talk to you all day about your life, but we're going to do a couple Let's more. talk about As You Die. We're going to do a couple more interviews. So let's talk about As You Die. Um, fascinating yeah. film. I can hold it up right now. Everybody, yeah. You can everybody see this. As You As Die. As You not Die, I know that you live forever. Um, it's, it's available on, on DVD. And um, I've got to say, you know, as I was watching, I didn't know what to expect. And it's actually, it's a film for people who are actively dying. So it's yeah. not just, I mean, we can watch it. Obviously, we can watch it now, but it's, so that's. It's, it's the only video like it in the world. There is none other that was investigated by the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church. Yes. They were so impressed with this that they offered uh, to take it over in the sense of producing it, getting it out there. And uh, I got, you know, the seal of approval. Um, so I went down there to Metairie, Louisiana, um, actually recorded it there. And, um, yeah, um, you can get it through, let's see here, www.focusvideos.com. Mm-hmm. They're located in Metairie, Louisiana, Focus. Or you can get it from my website, www.pmhatwater.com. Mm -hmm. um, and the purpose of this, well, let me tell you a little story of how this ever came to be. Okay. I don't know how long I'd been researching near-death states, maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years. I don't know, a long time. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it wasn't that long. No. Um, it probably happened in the 80s. There was still an AIDS epidemic. Mm. And a lot of our young men and middle-aged men and so forth were dying of AIDS. And a young man in New York City called me on the phone. And he said he talked with uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Stephen Levine and all the leaders in the death and dying movement. And he says, none of them are telling me what I want to know. Hmm. And I said, well, what is it you want to know? He says, I wanted to, to know what it feels like to die. Yeah. Wow. So I spent an hour telling him what it is like based on my research, mm -hmm. my own experience as well. Right. Spent an hour doing that. That hour I spent with him enabled him to die peacefully. Yeah. So through inspiration, I was inspired to take those words, put them in a script, and create the video. And then it was a cassette too, As You Die. Yeah. Well, then the Catholic Church found out about it, and they thought, well, you know, we could really use this. Mm -hmm. And I was having problems um, with distribution, so we got together, and then they did their their investigation. You know, they don't do any anything without knowing exactly what they have. Right. So it went through all the necessary steps mm -hmm. of becoming legal in the Catholic Church. They put their imprimatur on it and said, "We'll back you. We'll do this." Yeah. So then I got together with Focus. Um, focus uh, videos in Metairie and they own the rights. I do not. Mm -hmm. I'm able to sell it, but, um, and, and, and keep, you know, a little bit, a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but whatever they sell, I don't get any money from that. Okay. Um, and I'm at peace with that. I'm, I'm good with that. Because they're a great group. They're doing great things. And the fact that I'm not Catholic, so what? They're a great group. Yeah. And I will do everything I can to assist them and help them. Well, let's talk about the video. Because I think it's a very important piece of work. And I didn't realize there's nothing else like it. Because, you know, you talked about earlier, this guy wanted to know what it's like to die. We fear what we don't know. Yeah. And and so none of us remembers, we, we probably all died before, but none of us remembers what it's like and we fear it. And there's this thing in our society that says death is the end, right? So you talk about it in the video, there, there's a natural resentment because I'm giving up my body. Yeah. And we're thinking, all we're thinking about is what we're losing. So, and the thing I liked about the films, it talks about what we're gaining. It talks about, you know, this is not an end, it's a passage, right? Yeah. The last 15 minutes are so designed to be played after the individual dies. Yes. Certainly they can play it before, but especially play it after they're dead. We know through medical science, 
that the last faculty lost in death is the ability to hear. Mm -hmm. So that last 15 minutes is so designed to assist the soul as it leaves the body. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so play that, especially the last 10 to 15 minutes of the person's life. It, it, after, they've de after, they've dead e after they're dead even, uh, continue to play it. Well, you even talk about the process of, of dying as the body's shutting down and the senses are shutting down and we're kind of, you know, everything's shutting down. But then, I, again, I like it doesn't end there. It doesn't end when everything's shutting down. Then you talk about what happens after the soul leaves the body. So talk about that. Well, the fact that we just zoom right, zoom right out is not necessarily true. Sometimes it takes a while for the soul to leave. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a while sometimes for the individual and the individual soul, the individual as a soul, to realize they can leave, that it would be good to leave, that it's their time to leave, and that it's okay to leave. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of emotions in that. There's a lot of memories. There's a lot of attachments. Mm -hmm. And those, those can dissolve, and they do dissolve, and they dissolve fairly quickly. And the more the soul becomes aware of itself as a soul, the more the totality of you begins to recognize the totality of you. Mm -hmm. the more you're ready to pass on. Yeah. And you just float right up. You do. Some of them will hang around. You know, we've got our hangers on. Yeah. <laughs> Once they're gone, they may still hang around. Um, that might be ghosts, you know, what we call ghosts that, you know, are haunting various houses or graveyards. Um, some of them will will stay for a while, maybe years, in fact, to aid and assist, you know, the loved one, the loved one who it still remains. Yeah, I know yeah. Whit Whitley Stryber, who's a good friend of mine. Um, I I I I knew his wife Anne, and she's dead, like maybe twelve twelve years or more. And and I did I just did his show last week. And she's still, she's still around. She, she helps him. She has helped him all this time mm -hmm. in his um, radio show and everything he, he does. She's around to give him advice and give him encouragement. And uh, it's such a wonderful partnership. And, and you, you, do, you do get this. Um, it's not a man who's hanging on or depending on his wife. No, it's just friends. Yeah. Um, but some of them just just leave. They're they're anxious to go elsewhere, mm -hmm. and and who's to say how many elsewheres there are? Right. You know how many levels, how many states, how many dimensions, how many, how many, how many? We don't know. 
you know, you've got various people, various psychics, various mediums that will define, you know, the first seven levels, yeah, or the yeah. first five levels, or they'll define this, that, and the other. Please know that nobody knows how many places, levels, dimensions, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that's not set in stone. Even our wonderful adepts in India who have studied a lot and know a lot of things, even, even them don't really know all. Mm -hmm. um, this is an incredible universe we live in. These are incredible dimensions or places. Um, sometimes people just want to hover around and stick around for a while and then slowly leave the earth plane. Some, some people just, uh, you know, jet out and, uh, and they don't want to be, right. they don't want to come back. Um, and, and I've, I've been aware just this year of something else. I don't know what to call it. So I'll call it presence. Hmm. It's not a presence. Mm -hmm. It's not the presence. It's simply presence. Hmm. And I know someday I'll just walk in there. Hmm. Um, and I'll be gone. Yeah. And there's just something incredibly wondrous about presence. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I want to about the the film because I want I want to talk about the film. Um, I want to let people know it's not just for people who are actively dying. I think it, anybody that fears death, anybody that's curious about death, um, if you've got a loved one that's that's dealing with a terminal, uh, we're all dealing with a terminal disease. It's called life. <laughs> particular diagnosis. Um, it's it's. I think it's good because you talk about you know planning, planning. You know the funeral, planning oh, your obituary, you know, doing your will, all those things that people don't want to do. Um, but get that stuff done and to give a different perspective on, on what the whole thing is. Um, so uh, I do highly recommend it. I was, I was very pleased when I watched it. Oh, very good. Very good. I, I, I'm so, so, so glad that people, people are talking about this because it is a, it is a treasure. And um, what I've found uh, since As You Die came out, and it's been out for a while, mm -hmm. is that some people who have lost their loved one, maybe a year or more, will buy it and listen to it and have such comfort mm -hmm. in listening to it, mm -hmm. even though the loved one passed on a long time ago. They buy it for them, right? Not not that they're going to die pretty soon, but for the comfort it brings them. 
um, it's just, um, you know, they talk about a good death. Well, any death in a way is an opening to something else. Right. Right. Even if there's nothing there, it's still an opening. And sometimes that's pleasant and sometimes it's not pleasant. But it's still an opening. And it's an opening to something more. Mm -hmm. And if we embrace that, then it can be joyful. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been going about an hour, and uh, so I want to keep this to a, a reasonable amount. We've got a lot more to talk about, and you, you promised to come back, and we're going to do this again. Sure. Uh, in about a week, actually. So um, I want to say thank you very much. I feel it's a true honor, you know, getting a chance to meet you and just to experience you and, and to see the, the joy coming through you. And um, it's just amazing. So I appreciate you being here. Well, it's my honor as well to share this, and especially as you die, the video. Um, yeah. Um, there haven't been that many people interested in it, and I'm glad you are. I hope the viewing audience is as well. It's a very valuable, it's a very valuable piece of work. I think it's a very valuable resource, and I'm sure that things are starting to open up. People are starting to talk about this more, um, and people are curious about it. So it'll it'll uh, more and more people will discover it. Yay. Thank you very much, and I will see you soon. Bye. Hey, thanks for watching. Before you leave, I'd like to just remind you: you can always find me at www.grieftogrowth.com. That's grief numeral two growth.com. And you can schedule a free half-hour consultation if you'd like. Also, before you leave, please click on the like button here. Click on subscribe and click on the bell. By clicking like, YouTube will show the video to more people. And by subscribing and clicking the bell, you'll be notified when I release new material. Thanks for watching and have a great day. This has been another episode of Grief to Growth. And this is your host, Brian Smith. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I am a life coach and grief partner. You can reach me at www.grieftogrowth.com. That's www.grief2growth.com. And if you'd like, you can book a free half-hour consultation. The other thing I'd like to ask for is your support for the podcast. If you could go to iTunes and leave a review, that would be wonderful. And if you'd like to support me financially, you can support me for as little as 99 cents per month. And you can find the link to do that in every episode. Hope you have a great day. Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to griefdogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.